We're going to continue on in our sermon series called Unhealthy. And we are in week five of the sermon series. So we are deep into examining all these ways that uh, the world and our flesh create unhealth and how Jesus creates health in our life. And we've examined over the last five weeks, uh, not just physical health, although we have talked about physical health. We've talked about things like exercise and rest and those types of things, but we also have examined uh, mental health and spiritual health. Pastor Ben last week talked about addiction and how addiction is like sin because it binds us and we can't escape unless we have Jesus. So we're going to continue on talking about these things that uh, this kind of health that isn't physical health. And today we're talking about relationships, how to have healthy relationships and cultivate healthy relationships. And, uh, and the way that we're going to do this is we're looking at this book uh, or this passage in uh, the book of Ephesians. And this is the passage that I want us to focus on this morning. Just these two verses. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Amen. And as we examine this passage, uh, I actually want to tell you another story. So you're getting a lot of stories this morning, which is good because it's a good way to learn. But I want to tell you the story of these two people, Andre and Magda Trachma. And uh, there's this great book called Less Innocent Blood Be Shed that tells the story of Andre and Magda Trachma and this little village in France where they lived. They lived in this little village called Luchambon in southwest France. And it's this very remote village in the mountains, in the hills, in the hill country. And Pastor Trachma, he was the local pastor there. They had one church that everyone went to. He and the schoolmaster in this town were kind of the heads of the community. And this community was a Protestant community called Huguenots. So France at this time was predominantly Catholic. And there were these little pockets of Protestant Christianity and these guys were some of them. They're called Huguenots. So they're kind of Calvinist uh, Christians. So you may think they kind of have similar uh, beliefs of, as Presbyterians. So you kind of think that in the same category as Presbyterians. But something that's interesting about Huguenots is that they're also pacifists. So they, are, they do not believe in engaging in violence of any kind. And Andre Trachma, he did not like the word pacifist because he thought that it implied that you did nothing which they did not do nothing. In fact, their village was very active in helping people in their village and outside of their village. So he liked the word nonviolent resistor. That's what he said. He said that they were nonviolent resistors. And he pastored this church, led this community in the beginning of the 20th century into the middle of the 20th century, which was right when World War II was going on. And as World War II erupted, the Nazi regime grew and grew, and the French government was overthrown, and the Vichy French government, which sided with the Nazis, was set in place. As there was this Nazi occupation of France, this village was forced into a decision. Are they going to continue to take seriously the words of Jesus as they understood them? Were they going to continue to follow Jesus, or were they going to run and hide, or were they going to resist. And so they decided they were going to follow the words of Jesus as they understood them. So this story, this book, Less Innocent Blood Be Shed, is all about how this village helped resist the Nazi regime. And what they ended up deciding they could do, they weren't going to fight, but they could harbor and keep Jews safe. So over the years of World War II, they harbored and helped get to freedom 
5,000 Jewish men, women, and children. They let these people stay in their homes. They hid them in the countryside when the SS and the Gestapo would come by. But they also had another conviction. They believed that Jesus' teaching also taught that lying was a kind of violence. And they weren't going to do any violence. So they refused to lie, even to the Nazis. So it goes like this. The Gestapo or the SS would come to their village and they would say, are you harboring Jews? And Pastor Andre would say, yes, we are. And they would say, take us to them. And he would say, no. They would say, where are you hiding them? And he said, I will not tell you that. And in the years of World War II, this little village, this little peaceful village that told plainly to the SS and the Gestapo that they were harboring Jews was only raided twice. And they never lost a single Jewish refugee. They spent the entire World War II years taking care of and caring for these people who were being murdered by the millions, and they were completely honest and upfront about it. They took very seriously the words of Jesus. And the book is this beautiful book. While I don't agree necessarily with everything that Pastor Andre believes, um, he's a huge inspiration to me because their little village suffered a lot. He was in prison several times. Other leaders in the village were in prison multiple times. He uh, was beaten by the Nazis. Uh, they, were, they had people in their village taken to concentration camps um, and tortured and killed. His cousin was actually taken to a concentration camp for doing this kind of work and was ultimately killed. So they suffered greatly because they were resisting the Nazi regime and they were doing it in this peaceful way. And I'm telling you this story because this family is an inspiration. They did a great thing. They resisted the Nazis and they did it in an amazing way and God's hand was on them. But also because this story is very strange to us. Again, we may not necessarily agree with everything Pastor Andre Trachma believes or how to operate in the world because certainly scripture tells us that the government has the authority to punish evil, has the, the authority of the sword, that part of the role of the government is to punish evil and those people who do evil. But Pastor Andre is this inspiration to us because he did something completely different. And this seems strange to us. These people seem strange to us because we live in a culture and in a society that loves violence. We glorify violence. And I'm not just talking about war movies or that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about gore. I'm not necessarily talking about physical violence, but we actually celebrate and we love other kinds of violence, specifically verbal violence and emotional violence. Jesus, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches, he, he tells the, the disciples that are with him, he says, you've heard it said, and then he quotes the Old Testament, do not commit murder. And then Jesus said, but I tell you, even if you have anger in your heart towards somebody, you've already committed murder. Jesus equates emotional anger pointed at somebody else as the same as murder. In God's sight, it's the same kind of sin. We live in a world and in a society that loves this kind of violence, that loves anger, that loves resentment, and that loves verbal violence toward those we disagree with. Especially the last six years in our, the whole political environment that we've had, it's been bitter and mean and violent toward others. I'm sure that there are people that you disagree with that you have, you feel 
anger toward them. You feel resentment and you feel bitterness and hatred toward them. There are maybe they're politicians or maybe they're just people in the community that you disagree with. We celebrate and we love this kind of thing. We love this kind of animosity. Reality TV is a big deal and it is built on animosity toward each other. News is all about talking heads yelling at each other through the screen. It's all about animosity and it's all about this kind of violence. And God calls us to be different. God calls us to be people of peace in the midst of violence, especially when it comes to these kinds of relationships. And it's really easy to let animosity seep, seep into our relationships. It's easy to try to keep score, especially if you're married, you'll know this is the case, that it's really easy to see what your spouse does wrong and maybe downplay what you do wrong, right? It's easy to be like, well, I did this chore and that thing, and they didn't do this and they did that. And that's this kind of animosity that begins to bubble over, and before you know it, you're arguing and yelling at each other. There can be animosity amongst people in the community. You can disagree with them politically, or maybe you've heard this. This is kind of a small town thing that happens, is that you bring up, hey, we're going to go to lunch at this restaurant, and someone will say, oh, I'm never going to eat there again. Because one time the waiter said this to me. That's a kind of animosity that we have in our hearts. We thrive off of this kind of animosity. We love it. We love violence. And we love this kind of adversarial relationship. And the interesting thing is, is that way back to the beginning of Scripture, chapter 3 in the first book of the Bible, we hear about this kind of animosity and adversarial relationships. As soon as sin creeps into the world, people are against each other. Let's look at that. Back in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. This is after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit, and uh, God goes and looks for them, and they hide from God. And God finally calls them out, and he says this. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Adam is like, hey, we were hiding from you because we're naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So he calls Adam out and says, have you disobeyed my instructions? This is what Adam says. Adam is spineless. It drives me crazy. The man said, the woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. He just takes his wife and just throws her under the bus. In fact, you know, this is when religion was invented because Adam offers up his wife as a sacrifice to God. I didn't do it. She did it. And, she, and he gives up his wife to God to be punished by God. So this relationship that they had, this marriage that they had, that God had instituted, this gift that, that he had given Adam and Eve, as soon as sin enters the world, it's broken. And he says, take her. Take her. Don't punish me. And it continues. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent, he tricked me and I ate it. So she throws the enemy under the bus, who, of course, is actually the one who's in the wrong in this situation. But she immediately just throws this other individual under the bus, and there's all this broken relationship that happens here. Do you see it? Where as soon as sin enters the world, suddenly Adam is not so concerned about Eve, and Eve is not so concerned about this creature that she's called to take care of, the serpent, which Adam and Eve are called to take care of, and there's all this broken relationship that happens as soon as sin enters the world, and it leads down to this day. There are broken relationships in our lives and we get, like, we get high off of it. We like the drama. And it's really easy to be angry. It's really easy to feel self-righteous. 
it's really easy to feel resentful towards somebody else when we think they've done something wrong and we think that we're in the right. We love adversarial relationships and we love this kind of violence, this kind of drama. But the problem is that scripture commands us to do something different. And that's what we're going to get into with this passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. So there are six things, right? Yes, six things here that Paul lists to put away, to take off. This is the dragon skin, right, that Danny was talking about with Eustace. Take off this dragon skin, and these are what they are. Put away from you all bitterness. And bitterness is this kind of uh, slow-burning, like, animosity you might have towards somebody, right? When you hear somebody talking about uh, this person that maybe you don't really like that much, don't think very highly of, maybe you roll your eyes or whatever, right? You just don't think very highly of this person. That's kind of this bitterness, this slow simmer of animosity. Put away all bitterness and wrath. And this word, it's really hard to translate this passage, so we're just going to take this word by word. Uh, this word is a uh, response word. So if somebody does something wrong to you and you get angry about it, that's what this word is. So Paul is commanding us to put away wrath, put away this angry response we might have when somebody wrongs us. And anger. And anger here is another type of slow burning, but it's more than just bitterness. It's like bitterness 2.0. It's, it's an actual dislike and distaste for the other person. So it's, all, it's still a simmer, but maybe it's a situation where you hear somebody's name or you have to interact with somebody and your stomach becomes a knot because you just really don't like that person. You don't like dealing with that person or talking to that person. You don't like what they're about. You don't like how they operate, and it kind of gets you upset. You almost have this physical response to it. That's anger here. Not only put away bitterness and wrath and anger, but wrangling. And this is one, this is a word. I love translators. They do a really important job. But here in the Midwest, when you hear the word wrangling, what do you think of? Think of horses, and I think of cattle, right? I think of the rodeo. And here, the translators are not talking about people who wear wrangler jeans or who wrangle as a profession. I think this is maybe we can tell that the translators are probably from the coasts and not from the Midwest, because wrangling means something very different here than it does other places. Wrangling here, this word literally means an outcry or a shout during a fight. So they're trying to get this idea of fighting, but it's not physical fighting. It's like the, it's the, the verbal response that you might have in a fight. It's kind of this, what this word is. So this might be uh, somebody does something wrong to you and you bark at them about something. You have this outburst, this sudden outburst because of something that's going on. Paul's commanding us to put that away. Put away this first emotional response where we want to say something smart, say something mean, say something sarcastic, say something that puts them down. That's what he's getting at here. This outcry because of something that's going on. Not only put away bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling, but also put away slander and slander. Now, slander is exactly what it sounds like. It is a continual talking poorly about somebody behind their back. That's what slander is. Actually trying to lower the opinion of somebody with other people. 
speaking poorly about somebody. Now you see here, we start with bitterness, this low simmer. We get to wrath, which is maybe this emotional response when somebody does something wrong to us. Then we get up to anger, which is this actual physical response that we dislike somebody, that we really don't like them, we don't want to be around them. All the way up to wrangling, which is this outcry when somebody does something wrong, speaking poorly to somebody. All the way to slander, which is speaking poorly about somebody, always talking bad about them. Trying to ruin their reputation with other people. Slandering that person. You see, this is an escalation. It starts very slow with this little simmer of resentment. And it gets all the way to actively trying to disrupt somebody's life by talking poorly about them to other people. It's this, this slow climax here. And Paul says, put them all away. Even the little bitterness, even that little animosity that you have, put that thing away. All the way up to slander, to talking bad about people behind their back. Put that away. Because all of these things, together with all malice. Malice is the end cap here. It kind of encapsulates all of them. And malice is this dislike, distaste, working against somebody. That you are treating somebody and thinking about somebody as if they were your enemy. Creating a me versus you or a me versus them mentality. That's what malice means. And Paul here says, put everything away. Put all of this away. Amen. And instead of these things, instead of having this me versus you, this adversarial mentality where I'm using violence in my words to hurt you or to harm you, or I have violence in my emotions toward you because you make me upset and angry, instead of doing these things, do something else. And this is what he says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So instead of doing these other things, instead of doing this kind of verbal and emotional violence, instead, be kind, which is actually in our actions, do nice things and say nice things about that person. Be kind to them. I think kindness also means compassion, understanding where they come from and accounting for maybe weaknesses that they might have in the flesh or in sin and being patient with them and compassionate toward them. Be kind toward them. And also be tenderhearted. This is a great word. The word literally means good bowels. Feel good about that person. So it's kind of the opposite of anger from the previous verse. Where maybe anger is when we have, get a knot when we hear that person or we have to interact with that person. This command is to be tenderhearted, to feel good about them, to respect them and to enjoy interacting with them and enjoy spending time with them. Be tenderhearted, have good bowels toward that individual. Forgiving one another. Now, in order to forgive someone, what has to happen? They have to do you wrong, right? They have to sin against you in order to forgive them. So here, the context of Paul's commands here, of being kind and tenderhearted, the context is somebody that's done you wrong. So it's not just your friends, it's not just people that you agree with, but actually people that have done you wrong. You are called to be kind and tenderhearted and to forgive them. This assumes that this person has done you wrong. And as you know, if you spend any time in community, if you spend any time as, as a family, you inevitably do each other wrong. You inevitably get it wrong and you maybe you don't uh, interact with them as well as you could have. Maybe you said something that offended somebody else. We're always going to mess up these relationships. We're always going to get some things wrong. And here Paul is saying, forgive. 
And not just forgive, but actually forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is where it gets hard. Because in Isaiah, God tells us that he forgives our sins and then he turns his face away from them. He forgets them. He acts as if they weren't there. And he says, I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to turn my face away from them, not for your sake, but for my sake. He says, because of who I am, I'm going to forget your sins. And we're called to forgive others in this same way. To forgive, not only to forgive them in our emotions, but actually to say, okay, now it's as if this relationship is starting over. It's a new day in this relationship. We get to begin anew because I have forgiven you. And I'm going to forget that you've done me wrong. I'm going to choose the hard thing of moving forward as if this is a new relationship. These are hard commands, aren't they? Like this isn't easy stuff. In fact, this is some of the hardest stuff that we're going to do as Christians. This is some of the hardest stuff that we're going to do as a church. Because it's easy for us to be angry. It's easy for us to be bitter. It's easy for us to have resentment toward people who do us wrong. In fact, it's lazy to do those things. Anger is a natural thing for us to feel. It's natural for us to feel self-righteous, and it's the lazy thing to feel angry and self-righteous toward others. The hard thing is to be kind. The hard thing is to work against what we feel like is, is right and actually have tender hearts toward other people and to forgive them when they've done us wrong. This is why Jesus says the road is narrow. Because not many people can do this. In fact, no one can do this. This is not something that comes natural to us. It is a narrow, long, rocky path to do this kind of work. And it hurts. And it's difficult. But this is the kind of work that Andre and Magda Trachma did at Luchambon. They chose the hard thing. And you know what? They were beaten and they were in prison and they had people in their village killed because of doing the hard thing. And in our own life, it's going to be hard because we're going to be the people of peace and forgiveness when others aren't. We have to keep going on this hard, narrow path to keep forgiving and to keep being tenderhearted and to keep being kind even when others do us wrong over and over and over again. But the nice thing is that we're not by ourselves. We're not left to our own strength to do this because God has given us the Holy Spirit and he's empowered us to do this thing. In fact, Paul writes, when uh, he writes that, that as he was struggling through his own sin, he heard God say something to him. And what God said to him is, when you are weak, I am strong. So in our weakness and in our failure to do this hard, narrow path, God is the one who empowers us and picks us up and keeps us going on it. But we have to keep pressing forward. Amen. We have to keep putting off that dragon skin, and we got to do the hard thing of letting Jesus tear it off of us. That's why, you know, Danny talks about how Eustace, when this dragon skin was coming off, that it hurt. It hurt like nothing he had ever felt before, because this hurts. It's hard. But there's a great promise associated with it. Promises of peace, and patience, and generosity, and this full life that Jesus promises us. Not that everything's going to go well or everything's going to go right. That's actually the opposite of true. Things are going to go wrong. But when we can be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving toward others and toward ourselves, we find it's a much more rewarding life. 
if we keep practicing this, keep going down this narrow, hard road. So let us follow Jesus. Let us follow Jesus down this hard, narrow, rocky path. And let's do it together. Let's let this place be a village of peace in a world of violence. Let's let this place be a church of peace in a society that loves violence. Let this place be the place where kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness is found.